that I enjoy. I really, really, truly enjoy this time um, that I have with you guys. Young Am, good to see you, brother. Um, I truly enjoy this time uh, to come and fellowship with you guys and to spend time in the reading and the study of the word. Uh, it's been refreshing just to see how God is working powerfully through each and every one of you as you are disciplining yourself in the reading of the word. The reading of God's word is the most important activity, the most important endeavor for the believer. Um, and, and so if I can help and assist you in establishing that rhythm and establishing that habit to read God's word, to stay committed uh, to the reading of the word, man, let me tell you, I am I am more than happy to do that and to be a part of that. So I just love seeing it. I love seeing my family, you guys coming on every morning and committing to it. I love how you guys correct me when you're like, no, 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 no. We haven't read chapter 22 yet. So let's make sure we read chapter 22 first. I love that. I love that. Um, and it's, it's just really encouraging for me to see how engaged you guys are. So I just want to say that you guys, you guys push me to continue doing this. I truly appreciate you all. Um, and I appreciate your response to this. Um, you push me to keep doing this. You push me to uh, continue to share this with you. I have no other desire than to see the spirit of God just grow in you. That is my desire. That is my desire to see the grace of God develop in you. Um, it is, let me tell you, it, it just brings me so much encouragement. So your stories are super encouraging. Um, what we do here, if you're here for the first time, what we do here is we engage in the reading of God's word. We engage in the reading of the word. We commit to that every weekday morning. We're reading through the entire Bible one weekday at a time for 20 to 30 minutes a weekday. And then afterwards, you can endure my rants. Uh, if you feel like you got to get off because you got to go to work, whatever you got to do after the reading is done, that's perfectly fine with me. I am not offended at all. Um, but for those who hang there, we just spend some time in just the reflection of what God is saying in that moment and what he's speaking into. But I, I truly believe this, guys. This is my priority for you is just to sit and to read with me. That's it. Like, it's just to sit and to read. Um, that in, in and of itself is just it's it's transformative. It's transformative. So it's not just for you guys to sit and attend the rants. I mean, I, I, I'm glad that the rants have been a blessing to you. And that's why I, I ran. I ran because I need to, I'm processing as I ran. Um, I'm processing as well what the Lord is speaking into in the moment. Um, but, but that's all to say, guys, I am so, so encouraged. I want to start off to just to tell you guys that and I'm super encouraged by you. Um, today, we're going to look at Exodus 22 and, and I'm going to pray and we're going to get into the word. I'm going to pray. We're going to get in. Um, I'm going to start trying to like actually get in a little bit earlier as well. I know usually like we're like on the clock. We started like eight ten on the clock. I kind of just let everybody flow in. I'm going to make an effort to maybe jump on around 755 and kind of do my little shuka shuka at the beginning. And then <clears throat> and then afterwards, we can start a little bit early to get more in because I try to cut off by 830. So that way, for those of you who have to leave and have to go. You know, you're, you, you can, you can jump off around eight 30. So, um, and then I hang here till about nine to nine 15 ish, uh, depending on the day, depending on the time. And then, uh, on the days that we commit to prophetic prayer, uh, where we just spend time in prophetic prayer, we go for as long as time affords us. And sometimes that could be, that could take a while. Um, but it, it's all. We're all being led by the spirit in that, in those instances. So, um, and, and so, yeah, so we're going to read. And as I mentioned before, it's important for us to read from a meditational posture. 
We want to read the scripture from a meditational perspective, um, not a Bible study perspective. This isn't a Bible study. This is more of a meditation where we are reading the scripture and hearing what God has to say to us. We're looking to discover God. That's what we're doing here. We're looking to discover God. And so um, uh, we're going to ask three questions as we read this word. The three questions that we're asking is, what is God revealing concerning himself? Okay. What is God revealing concerning himself? The second question that we're going to ask is, what is God revealing concerning people? Okay. Concerning people. And the third question that we're going to ask is, what is God revealing concerning me? Okay. You're going to ask that for yourself. I'm asking that for myself as I read this. This is how we posture ourselves. Okay to hear from God and to discover him. Okay. And that's what we want to do. So we're not here to be simply informed by the scripture. We want to be transformed by the scripture. So we're going to allow the scripture to exegete us as we exegete the scriptures. This is an exchange with God that we're going to engage in today. So with that being said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for affording us this time to come together, to gather and to fellowship in your word. Father, it is incredible. Lord, that you've given us, Lord, the imagination, the imaginative creativity to, Lord, come together, Lord, through the means of technology that have have been developed by your people. (laughs) Father, that here we come together, all different people from all different places and all different statuses and all different economic standings and, and all different echelons spiritually and all different echelons sociologically, all different Um, ethnicities and cultures coming together right now in this moment to just sit down and to eat your word from different parts of the world and in different time zones, Lord, coming together to eat your word. Wow. How incredible is that, Lord? So I just pray right now as we come together, Lord, speak to us today. Lord, we anticipate you today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's get to a family. We're going to be uh, looking into. Um, um, we're going to be reading from Exodus 22, and uh, we'll see where the Spirit leads us from there. All right, let's do it. Let us do it. All right, Exodus 22. It says this: If a man steals an ox or sheep, and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is stuck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He shall make a full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's fields, he shall make restitution from the beast of his own field and from the best, sorry, from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man delivers his neighbor money or articles to keep, 
and it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand on his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods and the owner of it shall accept that and he shall not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence and he shall not make good what was torn. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If its owner was with it, he shall make it good. If it was hired, it came for its hire. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refused to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons that you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. And it shall be with its mother seven days. On the seventh day you shall give it to me, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Mm. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in dispute so as to turn aside as many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkeys going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. 
You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe for a bribe. Sorry, you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the con disconcerting and perverted, perverts <laughs> the words of the righteous. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in, a, in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I command you at the time of the appointed month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain till morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which you have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you in to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased, and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistia and from the desert up to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants 
of the land into your land, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. You shall not dwell in your you shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Hmm. Chapter 24. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nabab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Then Moses went up also Aaron and Nabab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as were paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments, which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go, go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of God was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain and in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. One more chapter. We'll see. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them. Hmm. 
according to all that I show you that is in the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it and shall make it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from him, from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. Oh, wow. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammering work. So you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherub at the two ends of it. One piece with the mercy seat and the cherubs shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat with their wings and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and the ark. You shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in the commandment to the children of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make it a frame for the handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around, and you shall make it for for it you shall Make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are set at its four legs. The ring shall be close to the frame as holders of the pole will bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the showbread on the table before me. Always you shall make the lampstand of pure gold. A lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs. The flower shall be of one piece and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch and one ornamental knob and flower and three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on another branch and an ornamental knob and and a flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand on the lampstand itself four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms each with its ornamental knob and flower and there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same a knob under the second two branches of the same and a knob under the third two branches of the same according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand 
their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be hammered, shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it and its wick trimmers and their tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all its utensils and see to it. You make them according to the pattern which I have shown you on the mountain. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. Um, Let me uh, first preface uh, before I even start this. If you are here for the first time, this is our read and rant. We spend 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. And then we spend another 20, 30 minutes uh, enduring one of my rants. Um, enduring one of my rants um, where I simply reflect on the scriptures. I'm asking three questions as I'm reading the scripture. Because this isn't necessarily a Bible study. It's not what this is. But I'm asking myself three questions. Uh, the first of the three questions is, what is God revealing concerning himself? Like, what is God revealing to me about him, about his character, about his heart, about who he is? Um, the second question I'm asking is, what is God revealing concerning people? That is, how we ought to be with one another, and particularly how we ought to be in relationship with God, because God's ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. So I'm asking myself then, is what is God revealing to uh, to me concerning people in this ministry of reconciliation, about how we ought to be with one another and how we ought to be with God? And then the third question that I'm asking is, what is God revealing about me, concerning me? Because the scripture itself discerns my thoughts and intentions, right? The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 4 verse 12, that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So these are the three critical questions that I'm asking myself as I prayerfully reflect through my reading of the scripture. And so this is the purpose of it. I truly believe this family, that when when believers begin to read through the entire Bible, right, through the entire biblical narrative, you begin to see God's work, God's purpose in in a incredibly beautiful light, an incredibly beautiful light. And often I believe that the reason why people get so disconnected with, with God, his work, what he's doing and how we ought to be in God's mission and work on earth is in particular because we really only read certain sections of the Bible and leave out the whole scripture. Um, I've heard it said that preachers or pastors generally preach from about an eighth of the Bible all year, every year. So that means that for many Christians who spent 20 years in church, receiving teaching and preaching on Sunday, because most Christians only show up on Sunday anyway, is for Christians who only show up on Sunday to get a word, most Christians have only gotten an eighth of the scripture, an eighth of the Bible. 20 years in, 20 years in, an eighth of the Bible. So the reason why I'm saying this, family, is because sometimes we see demonstrations of the power of God. And, and, and so we, we know that God moves, but then we lose the profound richness of how that was meant to be appropriated to establish God's kingdom on earth. Remember this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of the kingdom, 
Are you hearing me? Is the gospel of the kingdom that what God was intending to do was to establish his kingdom on earth. God was in the business of making all things new. He was in the business of making things right again in the world, right? Because mankind sinned against God and mankind who who was intended to be representatives of God sinned against God and through that brought sin into the world. Sin came through the man, right? According to Romans 8, sin came through the man. So now sin being brought into the world brought everything that sin brings with it, which is which is death, which is disease, which is um, all the, anything that we see in the world today was birthed out of the sin that was brought into the world beginning with Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden. And so God has always been in the business of reestablishing that. If you missed that before, go back and catch it. Um, you can catch it on the font everywhere. We have a Facebook group. You can catch the previous reading rants where we talked about Genesis. I know Genesis kind of shook a lot of you and how you, you ought to see your perspective. And I know some of you are shaken up by it, but it's important for you to understand the work of God, Elion, El Elyon, among the Elohim that God has called the Elohim to be his representatives in the spiritual realm, but he's called human beings, mankind, to be his representatives on earth, duplicating um, and expanding Eden throughout the entire earth. That's why he said, be fruitful and multiply. So he's expanding Eden in the entire earth. He's establishing his glory on all the earth, and he's doing it through mankind. Man is his representative on earth. Okay. Um, and of course, mankind sinned and in his sinning, meaning him following his own objective rather than God's objective, rather than God's rule to be established in him establishing his own objective. Now, was the devil an Elohim? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's another, that's another, uh, Bible study for another day. And eventually we'll do a Bible study on that. Um, but, but, but I hope you guys understand this, that, 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 that God was establishing his justice on earth. And I've always said this before that we often misread Genesis. We misread Exodus. We misread the old Testament, particularly speaking, because we read the Old Testament from a Hebraic lens, I'm sorry, from a from a, a Western lens, when we should be reading the Old Testament from a Hebraic lens, okay? We should be reading the scriptures as the Hebrews read the scriptures, written by Hebrews for the Hebrews. And in essence, when we understand that, then we can understand that as Gentiles, what our place is in the mission of God and the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross and, and, and the implications of his death and his resurrection. We miss all of that. We miss all of that because we have uh, bastardized the scriptures. We, we turn scripture into something that fits within our cultural context. And that's why we miss out on the depth and the riches of what the message of the gospel is. Okay, so with that being said, this brings us here. And I know, I know, because I got some messages from some of you on this, and I know it, it kind of frustrated some of you when you, um, some people kind of went, what? I, I don't get it. What do you mean? Um, when I told people, you've got to reread Exodus. Okay, you have to read Exodus. You have to reread it because most Christians have read Exodus 
from their perspective. They read Exodus as if it was written for them. The same way you've got to reread Genesis, you're going to have to reread Exodus. Okay? <laughs> and, 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 and when you begin to reread Exodus from the proper lens, then you're going to begin to see the work of Christ Jesus beginning from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, it was, word was with God, the word was God, right? All that good stuff. Okay. And so, oh, there's so much here. But there's so much that God is exposing to me today as I am reading this to you. So I want to share this with you because I believe it's going to open your mind up into how you ought to read the scripture through Exodus, and it's going to open your mind as to how you ought to navigate through your walk with Christ today and the implications of that. So where do I start? I said last, uh, last time, I know it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before yesterday. I told you guys last time that we have to reread Exodus as a book that was not written for us. Repeat that one more time. You need to reread Exodus as a book that wasn't written, sorry, to us, not for us, sorry, to us. You must read Exodus as a book that is not written to us. It's still written for us, okay? But not written to us, correct. We have to read Exodus first, primarily as an observer. Okay? We have to read it primarily as an observer. <laughs> Starting from Exodus 20, when you read the Ten Commandments. I'm going to sit here for a little bit because I know I'm still deconstructing things for you guys. And I'm still unpacking some things. So I know this is going to get real real weird for, for a lot of us as Christians, because a lot of us as Christians have been told that the 10 commandments was written to us. No, the 10 commandments was not written to us. Okay. The 10 commandments, remember we're reading the scriptures here from a proper perspective. The 10 commandments was written to the children of Israel. Are you with me? The Ten Commandments was written to the children of Israel. Meaning, when you read the Ten Commandments, because everybody loves that. That's where that, that that's where people get all, yep, there it is, the Ten Commandments. We read the Ten Commandments as if they are a set of rules that Christians ought to follow, which is an incorrect and improper perspective of the scripture. The Ten Commandments was not written as a book, as a set of 10 fundamental rules that Christians ought to follow or that Christians are obligated to follow. Okay? That's not, that was not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the Ten Commandments was to establish God's covenant with the children of Israel. Understand this, that the children of Israel should not be seen as some kind of 
uh, metaphor here. The children of Israel were the literal children of Israel. Okay. They were the literal children of Israel. Not, well, this metaphorical children. We sometimes uh, dramatize, you know, um, things in the Bible. Like when we think of the children of Israel, we go into the symbolism and we go into all this stuff. The children of Israel, this holy nation of people and this. No, it was literally the children of Israel. <laughs> okay. These were the children of Israel. Israel, stay with me, family. This and, and 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 I hope you guys. Oh man, I might. Man, I'm gonna go a little over time today. Um, I know it because I I gotta make sure I unpack this for you. Um, this is the reason. Going back to what we were reading before, this is the reason why the scriptures took meticulous detail, like they meticulously detailed out who the children of Israel were. So that you would know who this was being written to. Okay. So the children of Israel. Who were described in meticulous detail. Right. In the prior chapters that we read in Exodus. Okay. These children of Israel now became a nation of people because there were so many of them. But they were all children of of Israel, but the children of Israel were the children of Isaac and the children of Isaac were the children of Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob became Israel when he wrestled with God. We read all that. Remember, I'm walking you through. I want, cause I want you to, to hear, to, to see God's story from a big picture. That's why I want you to see here, to see God's story from a big picture. Abraham, right? Um, had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob wrestled with God, his name, he overcame, his name was Israel. He has this blended family of which 12 sons among the 12 sons came all the remaining children of Israel, which we call the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. Stay with me now. Why does all this matter? Because God's plan was initiated and instigated in the covenant that he made with Abraham. Through Abraham, God would restore his people. Through Abraham, God would restore his representatives on earth. Stay with me, y'all. Through Abraham, God would restore and establish his kingdom on earth through Abraham. That was the promise and that it was through Abraham that he would, that, 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 that his children would become a nation that is a blessing to many nations. He told Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations, not just one nation, but many nations would come out of Abraham, okay? That is that through Abraham, th the blessings of God would flow throughout all of humanity. Stay with me now. Through Abraham, the blessings of God would flow through all of humanity. So therefore, being a child of Abraham 
was not about influence and power, but about service to establishing the mission and the kingdom of God on earth. I hope you guys understand that because there are people who will say, well, who are the chosen people of God? I'm one of the chosen people of God. No, I'm one of the chosen. So this argument about who the chosen people of God are, but whoever they were, they were given responsibility to serve the world. If you understood what God's kingdom was like, you would understand that it wasn't a matter of political influence and economic power, but a matter of establishing the righteousness and the justice of God on earth. When you begin to understand that, then people wouldn't even fight <laughs> over who the children of Abraham are because they've been given now an incredible, an incredible responsibility. It's not a matter of power and influence and privilege, but a matter of incredible responsibility. And so he establishes this, 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 this covenant with Abraham. If you, I believe it's in, uh, if you want to go back to Genesis 11 and go back to Genesis 15, we read it all already, but I want you to go back and look at it again and see that he's establishing many nations under Abraham who would bring righteousness and justice to the world. That's actually the primary mission of the people of God, the children of God and the children of God being established to the children of Abraham. So he's protecting and he's instituting a bloodline. Stay with me, family, because this is I know this is going to because th this is different because we've been told so many things. And yet all it takes is just reading through from the beginning to the end, just reading through. That's why it's important to journey with me through this. Because now you're going to be seeing this all the way through. That this is the narrative. This is the narrative. All the way through. It's the narrative all the way through. And so now God is reestablishing his representatives on earth through the children of Israel. How does he establish this? Upon leaving Egypt, now that they're in the wilderness, before they get to Canaan and they establish their land and their presence in that land, God now is instituting the details and the parameters of that covenant with the children of Israel. I'm warming up, y'all. I'm warming up. He's establishing the detail and the parameters of that covenant with the children of Israel. And he begins with the Ten Commandments. <laughs> okay. Now, now, let me back that up one moment. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, okay? Before he gives the Ten Commandments, I believe it's in Exodus 19. Before he gives the Ten Commandments, I have nothing prepared, guys, so I'm sorry if it seems like it's all over the place. Um, I'm ranting, but I just, I hope you're getting what I'm saying here. Okay, um, as he's establishing this covenant, he makes a declaration to the children of Israel that they would become, I believe it's Exodus 19. I'm just trying to jog my memory here. 
that they would become a nation of priests. That they would become a kingdom of priests. Stay with me here. This is why you're going to see where I'm going here. Just stay with me. That they would become a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. So who are, thank you, 21. I, I knew I was, I was bouncing somewhere. So who are these priests? Who are these priests? First of all, what is a priest? Because when we think of a priest, we think of a guy who's standing on a pulpit and preaching. Or when we think of a priest, we think of a person who has, you know, the collar and is there to just, you know, care for you and love you and give you wisdom. No, that's a pastor. Pastors are shepherds. But who are the priests? Notice there are no priests in the New Testament. <laughs> Only in the Old Testament and only in the nation of Israel. But there are no priests in the New Testament. And the reason why there were no priests in the New Testament, there were pastors, there were evangelists, prophets, teachers, and all that, but there were no priests. And the reason why is because a priest is a person who represents God. That's it. A priest is a representative of God. A priest is an ambassador of God. So if a priest is an ambassador or a representative of God, then when he says that they're going to become a kingdom of priests, they're literally becoming a kingdom of representatives of God. Okay. A kingdom of representatives of God. I'm sorry. This is a lot because this matters. I, I hope you got, you can go back, catch the read and rant again on Facebook so you can get back. So it's a kingdom of representatives, but because they don't know what that looks like now, he has instituted a high priest. Aaron being the high priest who now is the representative of God. He represents the people to God and God is represented by him to the people. So now if you need to speak to God, you had to speak to the priest. And if you had to say anything to God, you had to speak to the priest. And if you had to hear from God, you needed to hear from the priest. Okay. This is, this is all going to matter for, give me a minute here. You're going to see why all this matters. Because now the 10 commandments where God's instituting of the covenant for the role that he was giving these specific people. That is now that in order to be priests, this covenant this contract, God is providing to the people here the stipulations for how they were going to fulfill the role of being God's priests on earth. This entire nation would be God's priests on earth to do what? To show the world what the kingdom of God was truly like. To show the people of God 
what Eden was supposed to be. To bring Eden back to the earth. So he institutes the Ten Commandments. And the reason why he institutes the Ten Commandments, it was 20, okay. I know it was either 19, 20, or 21. I couldn't remember. But you can go back as we read it last time. So, so, so now, family, what God is saying is here's the contractual agreement. It is now a contractual agreement that God is not making with us, with them. God is making this contractual agreement with the children of Israel. And what he's giving them is he's giving them a set of laws. And the set of laws that they're going to follow, they're following these laws in order to fulfill the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. The Ten Commandments were the basic terms of the agreement. Okay, the Ten Commandments were the basic terms of the agreement. But we're going to read now 613 more laws. I told you guys on that. And yet these 613 laws were not laws that were created in order for us to get to heaven. (laughs) Or for us to be good Christians. These were principled laws that were being established so that the children of Israel can properly be the representatives of God on earth. The priests that would show what the kingdom of heaven was like. And so we read in chapter 20, we read the 10 commandments and we read after we read the 10 commandments, then we read in 21, we read, I believe it's like, another 50 more commands or something like that. But we read a whole bunch of commands, laws concerning violence, laws concerning servants, laws concerning. So we read that in 21. We read about the animal control laws and laws concerning property in chapter 22. So we read through these laws. Then we read the moral and ceremonial laws, how we ought to treat one another and all this. And we see all of that. And, and, and then how justice would be established, how we establish justice, how are penalties to be paid? How is the law performed? Now, look at this, look at this now. And then he goes to the law of the Sabbath and he tells them to honor the Sabbath. Six years you shall sow in the land, gather as produce. Seventh year you shall let it rest. All these things are laws. None, I want to make sure you understand this. This law here, the law of the Sabbath, doesn't take precedence over the Ten Commandments. They were both equally important. They were all equally important. The Ten Commandments was just a prelude to the law itself. And yet all these things needed to be followed. Then there's the three annual feast. So now these are ceremonial laws that they were meant to follow. And then afterwards we see that little by little he promises them that once they've established themselves as a people, then they will inherit. Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rushing. I'm rushing. I just don't have the time. In Exodus 23, verse 30, read that one more time. After all these things are done, he says, little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. He's saying, the more you begin to establish these laws, 
the more I will give you the favor and the blessing of the land that I'm going to give you. I am going to hand this over to you so that you can be the nation that would bring Eden back to earth. But since you're not ready yet, we're going to stay here in the wilderness until you get it together, Israel. And then when you get it together, you'll be ready to walk in to Canaan. You're going to get your victory. You're going to get all of that. But we miss the more important part of the narrative that God's covenant that he's establishing was not for us. It was not to us, sorry. It was to the children of Israel. Digest that for a moment. He is establishing his 10 commandments, his covenant, so that God's people, the children of Abraham, children of Isaac, the children of Israel, would be as God had promised and committed to Abraham in his contractual agreement that in them following these things, they will be my people. This is why God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. The unfortunate part of this is we read it and for many of us as we read it we should see the profound impossibility of actually obeying this law I think that's the part I think that people miss is we read all of this and we miss out on the profound impossibility that the children of Israel find themselves in the tall order that God gives them to say, I'm going to make you my representatives on earth if you do these things. By doing these things, you are now my representatives on earth. You will be bringing God's kingdom to the earth if you do these things. When we look at the law, we're going to read it. We're going to see the depth and the profound impossibility of it. And yet they didn't even measure it. They didn't measure how hard it was. They didn't measure, they didn't measure how challenging this would be. They didn't sit and take pause and go, hold on a second. <sighs> He's asking us to do what? He's asking us to do this and to do, man, that's a lot. Like, can we do that? Notice he's setting them apart as a people. He's saying for you to be set apart as a people, this is what you're going to need to do. And they said, bet, let's do it. You got it. Let's go. They didn't even sit to think for a moment to say, like, did any of them go, bruh, you hear what God wants us to do? He wants us to do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> he wants to do this all the time. I can barely do one of them for five hours a day. And he wants us to do all these things and to follow them and follow these laws. We're not going to just like, Maybe try to make a better deal. But no, they said, let's do it. And so what the law does is, is the law reveals to us the profound distance that 
the holiness and the righteousness of God has with us. It's showing us the profound distance between God and his people because sin came into the world. And because of sin, these people were profoundly, profoundly hopeless in becoming the representatives that God needed them to be. Hmm. So Moses comes in in chapter 24 and he tells all the people, all the words that the Lord had said and all the people answered and they answered and they said, all the words that the Lord had said, we will do. Really? Okay. Moses is like, all right, all right, bet. Uh, All right, let's sign this contract. And so it was signed in blood. Remember, blood is God's economy. Blood is, is... Blood is God's stamp. And so Moses sprinkled blood, establishes the covenant, a deal that the children of Israel made that they could not, that they could not fulfill. That they could not fulfill. Hmm. And then, ready for this? What I find peculiar, I'm almost where I want to go, by the way. I'm almost there. What I find peculiar about this, I just want I just want I, I want to make sure you guys are getting the, the right perspective when you read this. That's all I'm saying. I want to make sure you have the right perspective when you're reading it. Because sometimes we we just read this and we read this as laws written to us. We read the Ten Commandments like it's some laws that we need to follow to be good Christians. Yes, these are the Ten Commandments. These are laws that we need to follow to be good Christians. No, what about the ones after it? They don't count. What about those? You know, what What about those laws? Don't, aren't we supposed to be doing those two? Which one? Which ones do we get to do? Which ones do we not get to do? The moment you choose which ones you get to do and not to do, you're already sinning because you're saying that you're God. You're choosing the laws, the rules to follow and the rules not to follow. And that's the travesty with a lot of Christians. They're trying to select which rules they follow, which rules they do not. You either follow all of them or none of them matter for the purpose by which they matter. And the unfortunate reality, family, to all the people who are trying to be law followers, the unfortunate reality is that there are people who try to follow the law the best they can and they still fall under the consequence of what we see in Exodus 24. Is that even when they agreed to the rules, they did not receive the presence of God. They did not receive the presence of God and they did not have a relationship with God. The people who followed the rules could not go and speak to God. Abraham had to go up to the cloud to speak to God on their behalf. Isn't it funny today how the people who live in old covenantal thinking who are all about holiness is always right and do this and do that and do these things to be a good Christian and do these things. You're breaking that rule, You break, but doesn't the Bible say do X? 
Doesn't the Bible say do why? Doesn't the Old Testament say this? And, and so we read these rules and we wonder why we don't feel the presence of God. So much so that we have to call the pastors who gave us the rules for prayer. When we're going through things now, we don't feel like we have the power to come before God. We need somebody to go to God for us. Because just like the children of Israel who were given the rules and agreed to follow the rules, they agreed to follow the rules. But the consequence to rule following and the consequence to compliance is that you don't get a relationship with God. So Moses now has to go up to the mountain. Moses is the one that has to go speak to God on behalf of the people. Moses is the one that has to come back and say what the Lord is saying. What am I saying to you? My, what I'm saying to you is the rules were never, ever designed for you to enter into the presence of God. The rules were never designed for you to be accepted by God. Not even in the Old Testament. <laughs> I've heard people say that. They say, well, in the Old Testament, you had to follow the rules to be holy. No, it wasn't even in the Old Testament. That to be in the presence of God, even the rules couldn't get you into the presence of God. Never in the Bible. There's not one instance in the Bible where complying to the rules gave you salvation. Yet we still want to know what what do I what should I be doing to be a good Christian? What should I be doing? What what should I like? Am I being a good Christian right now? Am I, am I am I not? Am I this? Am I that? It's akin to a wife's, you know, going to other people and saying, "What should I do to be a good wife? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I doing? Oh, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? Get to know your husband." Have a relationship with him. You know, if you have a relationship with him, you're going to know what he wants. You're going to know his desires. You're going to know what he needs. You're going to know, um, you know, what his predilections are. You're going to know all those things. Same for a man. Well, you know, I don't know what God wants from me. Well, you don't know what God wants from you because you don't know God. Get into his presence. Seek him. Get to know him. And the moment you get to know him, you'll know what he wants. You are the real, I'm sorry. You know, here's what happens, right? When you read the scriptures with the cheat code, because you already read the new, we already read through the, the New Testament. So when you read with the cheat code, you got the cheat code now. You got the cheat code. You are the written epistle. You are the word of God. It's written on your heart, not on tablets of stone. The words of Paul himself. So if we're in epistles, it's about us getting into a relationship with God. It was never about the rules. If you read this, you're going to read all the way through. The children of Israel had the calling, but they did not have the presence of God. They didn't, they didn't get to enjoy him on a personal level. They only got to enjoy him on a corporate level. Do we want just corporate presence or do we want to personally 
experience the presence of God? Or are we only seeking to give me the rules? And when I need prayer at three in the morning, I'll call my pastor or my priest or whoever is the super spiritual person who can do it for me because I can't do it on my own. And if you read at the end of Exodus, that's the tra that's the unfortunate travesty. The unfortunate travesty here is that the people, the people have followed the rules. They're, they're committing to following the rules and yet they still don't earn the presence of God. Did you hear that? They committed to follow the rules and yet God said, send Moses up, please. Don't, don't send them. Nah, they can stay, stay right where they are. Let them stay right where they are. Even, even all y'all Levites, all you Levites, all you priests that, that be, you, you, you priests, men of God, go ahead and stay at the bottom of the mountain, please. Just stay right there. All right. Moses coming up. Okay. Man, getting a little old. Let Joshua come halfway up with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let Joshua come halfway up. All right, Joshua, you stay right there, bro. Okay. You're only coming halfway up only because you're Moses' right hand man right now. That's it. I'm paraphrasing the scripture we just read. Uh, that's it. Okay. You know, so you just stay right there. All right. Just make sure the guy can make it up this far. After that, I got it from here. I, I just need Moses. That's it. At the end of the day, all I need is Moses. Just give me Moses. Did you hear me? They were compliant. They said, yes, God, we're going to do all these things. They didn't even have a chance to break the rules yet. And yet they do not have the presence of God. And until God establishes his covenant, then God offers his presence. I'm going to stop right here because we're going to continue to break this down. We'll break this down tomorrow. There's so much I'm trying to get to you. I hope this is helping. I hope this is helping because when we read of the command, because we're going to be reading the covenant, we're going to be reading all the Mosaic law. We're going to be reading all through Leviticus, all through Numbers, all through Deuteronomy. And there are people who are going to read, man, dang, this is a lot of rules. I, there's no way I can do all this. It wasn't for you. The rules, the covenant, that first had its preamble through the Ten Commandments was established for a people who God was calling to be his representatives on earth. To the children of Israel. Start there. Stay there for a minute. Just sit on that. Ten Commandments isn't for you. At this point, it's... It, it's, it's and if the Ten Commandments are specifically, directly laws for you to follow, then follow the rest of the laws. But I promise you, if you reread it and you focus on what you're reading as not a law written to you, but a law written to the children of Israel, then you're going to begin to see the freedom of what it means now to move by the grace of Christ who transforms you into him. I'll leave you with one more thought because I, I, we're going to build on that. After the children of Israel instituted and promised and God instituted the covenant by writing this covenant, these laws, this testimony 
on tablets of stone. After he does that, how does it end? We end our reading in 25 with the establishing of his corporeal presence on earth again. God is establishing his presence on earth because the covenant comes before him. He places the word above himself. And so once he's established a covenant, he said, now through the children of Israel, I will be present because of the covenant that I've made with them. They will be now the presence of God everywhere they go as representatives of God. You understand that? And so the presence of God was going to be established physically through the building and the establishing of the sanctuary. We'll talk about that. One thing that you'll notice here, that the presence of God everywhere they go. Because now they've made a covenant with God. So here's my thing. If the Ten Commandments isn't written for you, if I'm the written epistle, if you are the written epistle, then how ought, how should you live? How ought you, how are you to be? These are the, this is the tension we're going to stay in today. This is the tension we're going to stay in today. And throughout, as we read, you're going to see that tension resolving, 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 because God is establishing his justice, and you're going to begin to see his grace. Because the laws that followed the Ten Commandments were laws of justice. God was making things right in the world. They were laws on how we ought to worship God. And that's what he wants to do with you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, as we engage in your word. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would Lord, realign our perspective. Father, this is so challenging sometimes when we have heard something said so many times. When it's been taught so many times to us a certain way. And yet, Lord, I just pray that you remove the veil Lord, from each person's eyes. Lord, that as they read the scripture, they just read what's there. <laughs> To read what's specifically there. Lord, to remove the veil of what was told and what was described, what was explained, but to just read what was there. And Lord, to be free and to be liberated. To not serve under the bondage of the law. But Lord, to live in a new life by the grace that you give us to be new people in you. Father, bless us, Lord, as we navigate through difficult portions of, of Scripture. The next few weeks is going to be challenging for us. Lord, I just pray that it would uh, reshape us and, and Lord, that we'd be conformed to your image that Lord Christ would be revealed in us. And we say that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, I love y'all. Um, 